do not love the world or the things in the world. The world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. That guy has a really nice voice. <laughs> I, I told Blake, who's the one that edited the video, you made me sound a lot better than I did on the video than I do in real life. May have to have you walk around with me with a microphone and edit me as I speak so I can sound that good. But anyway, good morning. My name is Tito Serrato, as Pastor Marcus uh, mentioned, and I have the privilege of serving as the executive pastor of leadership development, and I am thrilled to have the opportunity to share God's word with you today. Hey, we're going to be concluding our series in 1 John, so we're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 5, verses 6 through 21. So if you would turn your Bibles or your electronic devices there, um, you can follow along the, with the message as we read the text. And so the title of this morning's message is, so you may know you have eternal life. And so this message is mostly directed to Christians, and if you are here and you are investigating Christianity or you're not a follower of Christ, you just came as a guest with someone, my prayer is that the Lord would use this message somehow to bless your life. Having said all that, let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to preach your word. Lord, I don't take for granted the fact that I get to open up the scriptures and expound, explain, and apply them. And so I pray that as we share these brief moments together, that you would let the word of God have free course, that you would minister grace to the hearers, that you would remove distractions, that you would help me to speak with clarity and accuracy the things that are contained in your word. But most of all, we pray that the name of your son, Jesus Christ, might be glorified and lifted up in what we say and do this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, and today's verses, uh, verses 6 through 21, uh, we'll be covering, um, we'll see that John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, closes this beautiful letter by reminding us that an authentic relationship with Christ is self-attesting. In other words, it bears witness of itself because it's the real deal. And because of this, you can be assured and know that you have eternal life. Now, there are two different words in the Greek New Testament that are, that are translated know in the English. There's the word oida, which uh, means to know by observation or intuition. And then there is the Greek word gnosko, which means to mean by experience, which is the word that it uses here. Uh, last week, I had the privilege of uh, witnessing a uh, boxing match. I've been a boxing enthusiast uh, since I've been a little child. I can remember sitting with my grandfather and my father, who happens to be here watching boxing match. I hope that doesn't offend you, that I like uh, contact sports, that I like combat sports. Uh, my defense to that would be, it's just like football, but without the fluff. 
two men trying to concuss each other. Anyway, this fight was built up uh, to be the fight of the decade. It was uh, Errol Spence against Terrence Crawford. And uh, everybody was siding with Errol Spence and all the bookies in Las Vegas and everybody, all the boxing analysts and all the experts and all the commentators were siding. They saying it was a 50-50 fight, but most people were siding with Errol Spence. And so I happened to be on the side of Errol, of, of Terrence Crawford because of his boxing style, because of the style of fighting, because of his boxing abilities. And so um, long story short, Terrence Crawford won. My guy won the fight. See, the testimony of Crawford's boxing record and his boxing style, the boxing style of both fighters, and his boxing ability and his boxing record gave testimony that he was going to win. But I went from believing that he would win to knowing that he won because I watched him win. In the same way, God has provided some testimonies for us so that we may be assured or that we might know that we have eternal life, which brings us to verse number six. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and the blood. And the spirit is the one who testifies. Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the spirit, and the water, and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. So we see here in these verses that number one, God is self-attesting. In other words, God testifies of himself. The text teaches us that Jesus came as a human being. He was fully God and fully man. There are three testimonies spoken of here. The water, meaning the baptism of Jesus. And the other testimony spoken of here is the blood, meaning the sacrifice of Jesus and the shed blood on the cross. And the third testimony mentioned here is the spirit. The Holy Spirit testifying of Jesus at his baptism and during his ministry with signs and now the Holy Spirit testifying of Jesus as he indwells us with his presence. Now let me give you a little bit further explanation on these verses. Most conservative scholars agree that the mention of water here speaks of Christ's baptism, meaning when Jesus was baptized, he did it as a man submitted to the will of the Father. This speaks of his humanity. Then it says that he came by blood, meaning that he demonstrated that he is God by shedding and offering his sinless blood as a sacrifice for our sins once and forever. And then he ratified it by rising again from the dead because only God can atone for our sins 
and only God can die and come back to life. We also see that the Father and the Spirit testify of the Son at his baptism, and you can look that up in Matthew chapter 3. And the Holy Spirit testifies of the Son to us as he is active in our lives. One of the things that is extremely important in our lives is the work and the testimony of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8 verse 9 declares these words, If anyone does not have the Holy Spirit, he is none of him. Romans 8.5 says this, that those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. In other words, without the work of the Spirit in our lives, we cannot claim that we are Christians. Because when the Spirit is active in our lives, we will both focus on and do the things of the Spirit. Authentic Christianity is characterized by the testimony and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Holy Spirit convicts us. The Holy Spirit guides us. The Holy Spirit will remind us of the words of Jesus. The Holy Spirit will teach us. The Holy Spirit will lead us. And the Holy Spirit will glorify Jesus in our lives. John chapter 16 verses 8 and 13 through 14 and John 14. Those are just to name a few of the things that the Holy Spirit does in our lives. Many people struggle because they try to do Christianity without the help of the Holy Spirit. They try to be good people. They try to do good. They try to act right. They try to make right choices. Yet none of those things make us Christians. Those things are only a byproduct of our Christianity. You see, when we are living in the Spirit, we will be submitted to the Spirit, and we will be dependent on the Spirit, and we will bear the fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us both the desire to obey God's Word and the power to live it. My son, uh, Caleb, who is uh, back there in the uh, children's ministry, he has a very interesting diet. He likes... Uh, Cheetos and cheese puffs and cheese sticks and mac and cheese and Cheez-Its and cheese fishies and on occasion he'll eat some oatmeal <laughs> but what he really really likes is smoothies you know the type of smoothies you buy in the supermarket at the yogurt session but he doesn't like any kind of smoothie. He likes Lala brand smoothies. And unfortunately for my wife and I, these smoothies are only sold in certain supermarkets. 
So when I go to the supermarket and I see that there are Lala smoothies on the counter, I take everything that is there and I put it in my shopping basket. So if you like Lala smoothies and you went to the supermarket and there was none, it probably was me. My apologies in advance. We have really tried to get Caleb to like other brands of smoothie and we have resorted to some ingenious tactics and techniques and so we would take the other brand of smoothie and put it in a sippy cup for him without him watching and then he would give it to Caleb and Caleb would smell it and taste it and touch it and he said ah, ah, not smoothie <laughs> and what he means that it is not Lala smoothie you see, he knows the packaging of Lala Smoothie. He knows the texture of Lala Smoothie. He knows the smell of Lala Smoothie. And he knows the taste of Lala Smoothie. In the same way, when we are authentic followers of Christ, there will be certain qualities and evidences of the work of the Holy Spirit. You see, when we are living in the Spirit and we are growing in holiness, we will find ourselves not being sinless, but sinning less. We will have a desire to grow. We will have conviction of sin. We will have a desire for community and authentic relationships and a hunger for God's Word. That is the work of the Holy Spirit which brings us to verse number 10 whoever believes in the son of God has this testimony in himself whoever does not believe God has made him has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son which brings us to point number 2 our faith in God is self attesting these verses teach us that when we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, our belief in Christ or our faith in Christ itself is a testimony or a witness to us as well as the world. Uh, the great prince of preachers, Charles C. Spurgeon, once uh, said, and I quote, My faith rests not upon what I am or what I shall be, or what I feel or know, but in who Christ is, and in what he has done, and in what he is doing now for me, end quote. However, when our faith is in something else, when we do not believe in the Son of God and believe the testimony that God has given concerning his Son, we are actually saying that God has lied, that he is a liar. Now, I want you to notice in this text that the word believe is used three times. So as we read this verse, we should feel challenged to believe in Christ as the Son of God. And at the same time, implicitly, the verse is warning us against unbelief. We'll come back to that thought a little later. 
Another aspect of our faith in Christ is that we are to exercise our faith. Uh, my uh, deceased wife, uh, Tracy Christian's uh, mother, uh, when uh, she went into labor, she went into preterm labor at uh, five months. And uh, we went to the hospital and there was a... Um, no possibility that, that she would live. The doctors were saying that she was going to lose the baby and that uh, it was not viable and giving us all kinds of information. And so I walk in there and I was trying to put on my best face, but I just fell apart and I said, I'm sorry, baby, I'm sorry. She looked at me with fire in her eyes and said, I'm not losing this baby. And so we went on this journey of trusting and believing God and uh, 18 years later there's Christian sitting next to my wife Jeeva and every step of the way we had to believe and trust God that he would do the next thing because he was born with grade 3 and grade 4 cerebral breeds. He was born with underdeveloped, severely underdeveloped lungs. He was born just under one pound, ten and a half inches. The, the chances of his survival was grim. And the doctors would say to us, if he survived, he would be in a wheelchair. If he survives, he would be a vegetable. If he survives, he would not be able to understand you or call your name. If I called Christian up here, he can cite for you the Lord's prayer because God is good and he wants us to have faith in him. But at the same time, 12 years later, my same wife, who has such great faith to believe that her son would survive and not be all those things that the doctor said, succumb, succumbed to cancer and died. And we fasted. We prayed. We trusted God. But she died. And sometimes exercising our faith will deliver us out of a situation but sometimes exercising our faith, meaning that God allows us to walk through a situation, even if that's the valley, the shadow of the shadow of death. Both are aspects of our faith. I have come to understand that the best way to have faith is like the three Hebrew boys mentioned in Daniel chapter 3 and verses 16 and 18. And some of you may be familiar with the story. If not, I'll give you a summarized version. There was this king, Nebuchadnezzar, and he erected a statue and he commanded that everyone, that when the instrument, the musical instruments would play, would bow before this image that was erected. But these three Hebrew boys, because they worshiped the true and living God, they would not bow. And they were confronted and arrested and brought before the king. And the king asked Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which were the names that they were given, are you ready that when the instruments sound to bow before the image that I have erected, if not in this very moment, you will be thrown into a fiery furnace and their response 
provides for us the best way to have faith. They said, let it be known, O king, that the God that we serve can and will deliver us. But if he doesn't, let it be known that we still won't bow before your image. You see, their going in position was he can and he will. But they understood God doesn't always work the way I want him to. God doesn't always do the things the way I want him to. And so they made concessions for the sovereignty of God. Our job is to have faith in God and leave the results up to him. That's why the Bible says in Hebrews 11.6, for without faith, it is impossible to please God. Many of the trials and challenges of this life and many of the spiritual attacks we go through are designed to refine and grow our faith. Listen to what Peter writes to us in his first epistle, chapter 1, verse 7. He says, So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I want to ask you a rhetorical this morning are you being tested if so how are you responding to that test when we are tested we are called to reach for our faith we don't reach for fear we reach for faith we don't reach for anger we reach for faith we don't reach for discouragement we reach for faith we don't reach for Depression, we reach for faith. We don't reach for feel-good substitutes. We reach for faith. Whatever we face, whatever we go through, whatever we feel, whatever we think, we reach for faith. We don't step back. We don't shrink back. We don't draw back. We reach for faith. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. If you're going to do it, let's do it right. Come on. going to get... Don't give God a half a praise. I like the way Hebrews chapter 10 verses 35 through 39 it says, it says, cast not away your confidence which has great recompense of reward for you have need of patience or endurance so that after you have done the will of God you might inherit the promise. For yet a little while he that will come shall come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. And if anyone should draw back, my soul will have no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back for perdition, but, though, but of those who believe for the saving of the soul. I love that verse. The flip side of faith is entertaining and holding on to unbelief. Unbelief will sabotage our faith. 
Jesus Christ lived life as a human being perfectly in obedience to the God, even though he was God and man. And he was crucified and died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And he buried, was buried and he rose again from the dead. After he rose again from the dead, he was seen by some witnesses who went and told the disciples that he had risen again. And the disciples, the 11 remaining disciples, did not believe. And Mark chapter 16, verse 14, when Jesus and the disciples finally reunite after his re resurrection, records these words for us. He rebuked them for their unbelief and their hardness of heart because they have not believed the witnesses. One of the things that we have to watch out, unbelief and doubt can creep in so subtly into our hearts. Our faith has to be anchored in Christ. And unbelief is a sin that we need to confess. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 3 verse 12 says. It says, take heed or be careful depending on what translation you read. Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. When my feelings and my emotions and my thoughts put my mind in a state that is contrary to peace and joy and love and contentment in Christ, we need to say, ask ourselves, who am I believing? What am I believing? Am I believing the lies of the enemy? Or am I believing the lies that my own wicked heart is telling me? Or am I believing him who said, whoever believes in me will not be ashamed. Beware of unbelief because unbelief destroys faith. As we continue our reading in verse 11, we read these words. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this, the life, is in the Son. This brings us to point number three. Our assurance of salvation in Jesus is self-attesting. When we place our trust in Jesus, we are assured that we have eternal life. Not maybe, not perhaps, not I'm trying to make it in, not I hope I get there, but we know we have eternal life. Which brings us to letter A. Our focus has to be on eternity. And when I say that our focus has to be on eternity, I want to remind us on the gospel, of the gospel, that Jesus is God. 
and he died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins and that he rose bodily again from the dead and now when we repent of our sins and we believe the gospel the substitutionary death of Christ and we receive Christ into our lives we are born again we are regenerated we have eternal life because he has paid the penalty for our sin for the wrath of God that was upon us and our focus and our living should be on the backdrop of eternity one of the things that uh, we should constantly ask ourselves when we feel ourselves getting angst when we feel our thoughts going all over the place when we feel ourselves that our emotions are getting the best of us when we feel like we're, be we're fearful we should ask ourselves in the light of eternity does this really matter but they're doing this to me, to me. They're not giving this to me. This person is getting the promotion. I am being bypassed in the light of eternity. Does it really matter? But they mistreated me and they talked about me and they don't like me and I don't have any friends and I feel lonely in the light of eternity. Does it really matter? Now, that doesn't mean that we are not empathetic and care about those things. But we have to be careful not to live life driven by emotions and circumstances. We have to live life based on the fact that we have eternal life. The Apostle Paul said it this way. This is a great verse, Romans 8, 18. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed. Nothing that you go through, nothing that you experience, nothing that you think, nothing that you feel, nothing that they do to you, nothing that they say to you, is worth comparing to the eternal life. God sent his son so you would have eternal life. God sent his son so you would have joy. God sent his son so you would have peace. God sent his son so that you can have the abundant life and fellowship with him. Why would you allow some sinner or some circumstance or some situation rob you of what God sent his son to die to give you? I'm getting a little preachy here. I can live life in the light of eternity. Verse 12 says, whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God that you might know that you have eternal in these verses, we see that number four, salvation is exclusive. Listen to what it says in, in, verse, in verse 12. It says, whoever believes in the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. Jesus is the only way to salvation. Not New Age spirituality. Not Buddhism, not Islam, not a conglomeration, not being spiritual, 
But Jesus is the only way to salvation. He's the only way to eternal life. Peter, in speaking of this to the Sanhedrin, he said these words, For there is salvation in no other, for there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. And he was speaking of Jesus, Acts 4.12. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And as we come to verse number 14, and because of this salvation, excuse me, and because of this salvation, and because salvation is exclusive, we can have confidence, which brings us to verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, we have whatsoever things we ask of him. And we know that we have these requests that we have asked him, which brings us to number five. Our confidence in Christ gives us boldness to pray. We can pray with confidence. We can pray with boldness. Hebrews chapter four, verse 16 says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. And so I want to encourage you not only to come boldly to the throne of grace, but to pray bold prayers. Have confidence that he will hear you. When we pray to God and ask him to forgive us of our sins, he does. When we pray to God and we ask him to give us a desire to grow and a desire to pray and a desire to do his will, he does hear us and he does it so I want to encourage you to pray his will pray his word pray without ceasing many people in the church don't take advantage of prayer and so again pray frequently pray on the go pray wherever you are that's what it means to pray without ceasing but also have a prayer life. Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, says these words. When you pray, prayer has a time, go into your closet or your room, prayer has a place, close the door, prayer is in private between you and God, and your father who sees you in secret or hears you in secret will reward you openly, meaning private prayer always has a public impact. What I'd like to encourage you to do, keep praying on the go. Keep praying where you are, but don't let that be the sum total of your prayer life. Those prayers are so much richer when they come out of the outflow or the outworking of your prayer life, of your time spent, of you taking time out of your day and finding a place where you go to spend with the Lord and not just something that we add to our lives because we are too busy. Now, let's get to the really difficult verses of this passage. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. 
There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that we should, they should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. That does lead to death. Does not lead to death, excuse me. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God, God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding that we might know him who is true, and we are in him who is true in the Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. In these verses, we see that number five, unrepented habitual sinners must be left the Greek word for sin here is the word hamartano. It is written in the present active participle. This means that it's one who keeps on missing the mark in his relationship with God. In other words, this person is intentionally and actively sinning. It speaks of a willful, unrepentant, habitual sin. And the context bears that out because he says, no one born of God keeps on sinning. And he goes on to say that the people who are born of God or are followers of Christ, that God protects them from the power of the evil one. Now, we find an example of a sin that leads to death in Acts chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira. That they lied to the Holy Spirit and they died as a result. Paul mentions another example that a sin that leads to death in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 30 when some people were taking the Lord's Supper in an inappropriate manner meaning that they were not saved or taking the Lord's Supper in habitual sin and they he said some he said some were sick and some even these are the only two clear instances in the New Testament of believers who committed sins unto death. John mentions a sin unto death in the first epistle, but he does not offer any specifics regarding that sin. John's not only speaking of the heart behind the sin, but he's also speaking of the category of sin. Not pointing out specific. Therefore, John instructs the church not to pray for this or not to pray for the forgiveness of those sins because it would be futile because they are unrepentant. It doesn't mean not to pray for the person. For in many instances, only the prospect of death is the best remedy for the habitual, unrepentant sinner. I often wonder if this is what happened to the man in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 when Paul said, deliver him unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit might be saved in the last day. This should serve as a stern warning and a caution to us not to take sin lightly. Now, in verse 21, we see that John closes this uh, letter with a footnote. <laughs> He's, he says this, little children, 
keep yourselves from idols. Now, idolatry is more common than we think, which is number seven. When John wrote this letter, he was referring to real idols, real statues and images that people worshipped and performed ceremonies to. If I can have the worship team come back, do you guys have the worship team at the end? This, this would be the good time to do that. But idolatry in our day takes on a more subtle tone. Sometimes idolatry is called our preferences. Anything we place above our love for God and obedience to his word is idolatry of the heart. Here are a couple of things that the Bible calls idolatry that you might not necessarily be aware of. The Bible calls covetousness or greed or the lack of contentment idolatry, Colossians 3.5. The Bible calls stubbornness idolatry, 1 Samuel 15.23. John says, stay free from idols. And idolatry is more common than you think. I think it was Martin Luther who said that the breaking of the first commandment is the culprit of our most observable sins. Now let me conclude with this. Today we have examined some verses that call us to think really seriously about our relationship with God. We discussed faith unbelief and, and prayer and what it and the dangers of habitual sin if you are here today and Christ has been speaking to your heart he's knocking at the door of your heart behold I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come in and dine with him and he will dine with me if the Lord is calling you to his table, don't leave this place without doing business with God. Perhaps you're here and you're struggling in your prayer life or struggling with unbelief or struggling in your relationship with God. There are going to be some people under, underneath the screens here to pray with you. Is that the way we do it here? I'm, talk, I'm talking like I'm in Yorktown. This is not Yorktown. Uh, listen. We need to know that we have eternal life. Eternal life is what Christ died to give us. And he rose again from the dead so that we can enjoy it. And so that we might know that one day we will live forever rejoicing and praising and blessing God and having a life of blessing and enjoyment that is far beyond what you and I could imagine in this sinful and mortal world. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to preach your word. I pray that as a result, Lord God, you might be glorified. I pray, Father God, that as we enter into a time of worship, Lord, and prayer, that you would minister to your people right where they are, Lord God, that good decisions will be made for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.